make sure that you have really good mentors in place. I feel like I wouldn't have been able to do all these different asset classes without having professionals and people there that can help me on my deal. Best ever listeners, you ready to take your online advertising into the big leagues? Are you ready to get more leads? Well, how about we do all this for free? Yeah, sure, free. Well, it starts out with a free strategy session with Dan Barrett. You recognize his name, episode 565, titled Google AdWords and Cutting Edge Strategies. He's the only certified Google partner agency that works exclusively with real estate investors. That's why I'm talking about him. And he's managed over a million dollars of client spend and scored an 80th percentile for or higher for best practice. Basically, he knows his stuff. And he is offering a free strategy session for one hour to do a deep dive with you and learn about your market and collaboratively come up with an online advertising strategy based on your target audience. And he's offering to do this for the best ever listeners. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Now I mentioned free. Well, the strategy session is free. And then you can either take the online advertising strategy that he comes up with on the call and go implement it yourself. There you go. It's free. Or you can have him and his agency do it for you. It's a turnkey solution. And by the way, that likely one that being free too, assuming that you're closing on the leads that he's generating for you as a result of all the efforts. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. He's got some amazing stuff. Ask him about the pre-targeting for direct mail lists that he does. It's something unique to their company and it's pretty exciting stuff. He's noticing some tremendous results as a result of doing pre-targeting. So ask him about that. AdWordsNerds.com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluff with us, Danny Newberry. How you doing, Danny? Good. How you doing, Joe? I'm doing well and nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Danny. He is the founder and president of Value Investment Group, which is a commercial real estate investment firm. His firm has acquired more than 20 properties since its inception in 2008, and that's across seven states. He owns over 250 rental units and now invests in high-end commercial deals and retail shopping centers based in Cedar City, Utah. With that being said, Danny, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your focus? Yeah, thank you, Joe. So just to clarify and give everybody an update, I have officially moved to the beautiful state of Colorado. So I'm officially a Colorado Springs resident and originally from Southern California. I was born in Mexico. My mom is Colombian. My dad's American. And I couldn't tell you how I ended up being born in Mexico. But uh, <laughs> here now, I've definitely had the privilege of investing as a young guy. I'm 28 years old now, and I've been able to accomplish some pretty good things based on the mentorship that I've had and the people that I've had in my life to kind of help me and propel me down my path. So it's been a lot of fun, been enjoying the ride, been having a good time. And again, thanks for having me on. What are you buying now? I'd say my core focus is shopping centers. I'm looking across the spectrum of true commercial, so retail shopping centers, medical office buildings, and industrial complexes. So I've got a mix of all three right now. 
I'm really not buying any more apartments right now. I'm a little bit burnt out. They are a little bit more management intensive, but I heard this the other day and it kind of made sense to me. Someone told me it's the evolution of a real estate investor going from residential to apartments and then ultimately into commercial. And I wanted to wrap my head around the different sectors and learn them. And so that way I could identify opportunities in different marketplaces across different asset classes. And so that's what we've been doing for the past couple of years. And I'd say over the past 24 months, I've really focused on the commercial side. Tell us about a shopping center you bought. I actually just bought one last week here in Colorado Springs, a little over 20. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, very excited about it. It was a small shopping center neighborhood with an out parcel. It's a little over 20,000 square feet. One of the names I guess you'd know in there would be like Allstate. Other than that, we have some mom and pops in there. Just signed a lease with a cryotherapy group, and we're also working on a distillery right now. So that would be a pretty interesting tenant to get in the shopping center if we ultimately commence with them. But uh, yeah, we bought that for about seven hundred thousand. So it was only thirty bucks a foot when neighborhood shopping centers are going for about a buck twenty-five to one hundred and fifty a square foot. So our goal in this deal is a flip. It's not one that we are necessarily interested in holding in our portfolio long term. So our goal is to get in there. We're going to put a new roof, a new parking lot, new facade, new signage, and stabilize the rent roll, and then put it back on the market probably, hoping to get it back on before the end of the year. We'll see. Wow. What a quick turnaround. That's less than 12 months. That's an eight-month turnaround is what your goal is. Yeah, we identified this opportunity and we already had a team in place in Colorado. I had bought a medical building about a year and a half ago out here. And so already had boots on the ground, had a good team, a good leasing agent, my construction guys ready to go. So this one, we looked at it and we looked at the numbers and rents were below market. Everyone was either on month to month or very short term leases. We were able to renegotiate a few of those already and we're bringing them up to market. I mean, the previous owner, I hope he's not listening, but he did a terrible job of managing this place and left so much meat on the bone. And that's what we focus on is those value-add opportunities. So our goal is to have it on the market for about three and a quarter at the end of the day. I got a bet with one of my friends that we have to buy it, fill it up, stabilize it, flip it this year, and sell it for at least two and a half million. So if we can do that, then I get a free ski trip to any ski resort in Colorado. So (laughs) I got to make it happen now. You said you're probably going to put on market for three and a quarter, 3.25 million, right? But you want to sell it for 2.5. Okay. And you bought it for 700,000. How much will you put into it? I'm looking to put about a quarter million into it. My roof's about under a hundred. Parking lot's about 55. Monument sign is about 30,000. And the facade is going to be about 50,000. Will you say those again, but slower? Because I'm taking notes. I want to write that down. So we're under a hundred on the roof. It actually came out to eighty-eight thousand. I'll give you specific numbers: eighty-eight thousand brand new roof. Then we're going to do the parking lot, which is fifty-two thousand. We're going to do a new monument sign. It's going to be about thirty thousand, and then the facade work is forty-four thousand. So all in about two hundred and fifty thousand, as you mentioned. PI, so tenant improvement. Like I said, I just signed a cryotherapy group. They freeze your body like below the head for inflammation. And we're doing about 26,000 in tenant improvement for them. And they're signing a 10-year lease. So a quarter million is our cap acts. And then we'll be anywhere from another 100 to up to 200,000 in TI, tenant improvement. 
to basically stabilize the center. Mm-hmm. How many spots do you have to get filled between now and when you put it on market? We had two tenants before we closed the shopping center. And as soon as we closed, we signed a barber for about a thousand square feet at 12 bucks triple net, which that means the tenant pays for the taxes, insurance, and common area maintenance. And that's another reason I really love commercial property or triple net. So anyways, we signed them and then we ended up signing, like I said, the cryo group at about 13 bucks triple net. We've only got one space available now that's about 4,000 square feet. And that is the one that we're talking to a distillery about. I've interviewed successful investors who focus on shopping centers and they say it's desirable to have destination tenants. So companies that you have to actually drive to versus you could buy online, like clothing store, not a destination tenant, buy on Amazon or Macy's.com or whatever, whereas a barber shop would be a destination tenant. So would be the cryotherapy because you actually have to go there to get your whole body frozen and other things. Do you take that into consideration when you're flipping a product? Absolutely. It's all about having a good tenant mix. And that's what we look at. We look at what are the demographics to this area? What's missing? Who needs to be there? Who's going to do well? So when we look at these tenants, like especially when we buy and we have an area that we know that's really strong, that there's good demand, good absorption for space, we can pick and choose the tenants that we want in our center. So we absolutely look at that. We'll look at their financials. We'll look at their previous history of current locations. And then we look at the business and look at everybody else that's in our center and say, hey, is this a good fit for who's in there now? After eight months, let's say things, congratulations, everything has gone perfectly according to plan. You're on track to get your ski trip. Why wouldn't you do a cash out refinance on this instead of selling it? Well, that's a great question. And the biggest reason is we do have properties that we hold on long term. I've got three shopping centers that are all, and this is the reason I'm holding the other shopping centers versus this one, is I've got three shopping centers that are extremely well located. Like one's a Walmart Shadow Anchored Shopping Center, all national tenants in there. And then I've got another Shadow Anchored Center to a Home Depot and a Winco Foods and Petco. And then all the tenants around that are all national. So my neighbor to the right of me is Carl's Jr. To the left of me is Arby's and Freddie's house. Behind me is Big O Tires. And so, you know, it's like these are locations that I don't think that there's going to be much, if any, high vacancy or an area where the, let's say, the demographics are trending downward. Those are areas the demographics are trending upward. The population's growing. The income is growing for those residents in the area. But on this center, this is more off the main road. So Academy Boulevard, the one we're talking about now, it doesn't have the traffic counts that I would necessarily like to hold on to a property long term. It's under 15,000 traffic count, but it's, a, it's definitely a destination neighborhood shopping center. So if you live in the area, you know about it, but it's not necessarily like you're picking up traffic from people going from one end of town to the other. So in the long term view, this property is older, this property is off the beaten path, and it doesn't necessarily fit with our business model of the type of tenants that we want in there. We're not going to have Verizon and Subway and some of the other ones could be Einstein Bagels and those type of tenants that are a little bit more high quality. 
Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Location and age. But in that order, it sounds like location first and foremost, and then age didn't quite fit your long-term hold. You've done one of these turnarounds before, obviously. What do you know is going to come up as you start doing the roof and parking lot monument sign that you're going to have to address? You just know you're expecting this issue to come up based on your experience. Well, first of all, tenants, no one's happy if they have to have all their customers park out on the streets or on the other half of the the parking lot and have to go around. And a lot of times you're going to have a lot of noise when you're doing the parking lot or doing the roofs or doing the facade and those type of things. So it's going to be an interruption to our tenants and we always want to make it as painless as possible. So we always shoot to do a lot of these things if we can on slower days. So if Sunday's a slow day and most of the tenants are not open for business, that's a great day to do it. Otherwise, Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays seem to be a little bit slower, especially at this shopping center. So we would try and get everything done for the big stuff or the loud stuff or where you need to actually cone up certain areas where they can't go into. We'll do it on those slower days. That brings up a good point. Is there some sort of clause that they have or have you heard of any tenant going after a landlord for lowering their sales because of ongoing improvements that hurt them and maybe didn't allow them to pay rent or something like that? You know, I haven't. I'll tell you what I have done, though, in the past. When we know we're doing something like this and it is disrupting their business, we want to create a really good atmosphere with our tenants. And we want to make sure they're taken care of and they don't feel like we're not addressing their needs. So a lot of times we'll talk to them, we'll figure it out, we'll figure out, hey, what day works best. We'll have our contractor involved in this conversation. And a lot of times at that point, everyone's happy. If they're not, what we've done in the past is maybe we've done like, we'll give you a couple days free off your rent, right? We'll give you a pro rata for take five days off for really having to cut your customers in half for those five days. And a lot of times they're going to be like, oh, well, that's great. That's fantastic. I've really only had to do that once, but you can stop that by just getting everybody involved and letting everyone voice their concerns, and then addressing those issues. When you're evaluating a shopping center and you talk through the rent per square foot and what you buy it at, so what you buy per square foot, but I'd love for you to just recap, how do you evaluate if you are going to purchase a shopping center or not? We look at it from three different views. One is who are the tenants? What do their leases look like? How long are they going out? What kind of strength do they have? How long have they been in business? So we'll look at it from that standpoint. We look at it from the cost approach. If I had to build this brand new, what's it going to cost? I got to buy the dirt. I got to build it. I got to fill it up. And then the other thing is looking at it from a cap rate and price per square foot comparable. So like on the comparables, you look at, okay, what are prices going for shopping shopping centers that are similar to this property in this area? And then also, what are the cap rates that people are paying in this area for this type of product? So we'll look at it from all those different aspects. And then we can say, okay, this is a seven to eight cap market. I'm just giving you an example of this shopping center. So this is about a seven to eight cap marketplace. And the shopping centers, depending on your tenants, will adjust that cap rate. And then looking at the price per square foot, everything that's selling in the immediate area is between 125 to 150 is the most average price per square foot that things are selling for. And then looking at it from the standpoint of who your tenants are, we're going to have more mom and pop type tenants. We do all states there. And then we've got a children's theater 
where parents bring their kids and drop them off, and they're doing dance and theater stuff and all that. And then we've got the barber, we've got the cryo. We're looking at doing some other tenants over there that would make sense. But, you know, at the end of the day, these are mostly going to be your mom-and-pop tenants, so we're probably, when we look at it from a disposition standpoint, we're going to be on the higher-end cap rate. So we're shooting at an 8 cap, and we're probably going to be, let's say, I think between 2.5 and and 3 million on a disposition when we look at what the price per square foot is and what the cap rate's going to be. So looking at it at the low end on the price per square foot of 125 bucks a foot on a sales price is 2.6 million. Looking at it at 150, you're above three. So it all just comes down to who we end up landing, what those leases look like, and obviously what we do to the center as well. Doing a new roof and parking lot and facade and signage, I mean, that increases the value for the tenants, but also for buyers. What type of financing do you get on these properties? On this one in particular, we'll keep staying specific with this deal. This one we just bought cash because it was an easy takedown, 700000 It really didn't make sense to go get financing when we knew we were going to flip it in a year. And even if we had to hold it, that's fine. It's going to cash flow like crazy. But at the end of the day, we do a little bit of both. I've got partners that like to go into long-term deals for the cash flow and the depreciation. Then on the other side, I got deals where it's like, hey, this is a perfect one for us to pick up, fix it up, stabilize it, and turn it around and make a nice profit. The 700K, is that investor cash or just you and your company's cash? On that one, I've got two partners. So what we did is we basically split it up to where we were able to take down the 700000 and then we had another couple hundred thousand that we needed for our tenant improvement dollars and our capital improvement budget. And how do you structure that with the two partners? So I do syndications, and just like you, Joe, I started out in this business, and really I had to build up an investor pool. So I started off with friends and family, and then that started to morph into more relationships as we grew. And right now I've got about two dozen investors that I work with that come into our deals. And usually it's our little bit bigger capital raise deals that I'll have several partners on. But on this one specifically, it was just three of us total. And we did a Reg D. We just did the operating agreement, subscription agreement, questionnaire, and ended up opening up a bank account in the name of the LLC that we purchased it in, which was a brand new entity formed in Colorado, and everyone comes in with their own entity. Okay. It's for the equity and their ownership. And do you do a preferred return, or what is your investor partner structure? No, we don't really do preferred returns. What we do is we just do, hey, look, here's the deal. X amount will get you X amount of ownership in it. So most of our deals will do cost eggs, and a lot of people like that bonus depreciation or that that depreciation that you can give out to people that are either considered a full-time real estate investors or can use it in other faculties of their W-2s. So a lot of times when we set these up, each deal can be a little bit different, but for the most part, they're pretty cut and dry at the same time. Based on your experience For a best ever listener who's interested in shopping centers in particular, what is your best real estate investing advice ever for them? I think the best advice for the best ever listeners would be that make sure that you have really good mentors in place. I feel like I wouldn't have been able to do all these different asset classes from residential, multifamily, retail, office, medical, industrial, all these asset classes without having 
professionals and people there that can help me on my deal when I'm going through it and being able to ask the right questions and being able to have people when things come up and you're not sure exactly what the next move is. You ready for the best ever lightning round? (laughs) Yeah. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Got your free strategy session to generate online leads yet? Well, if not, go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Dan Barrett's going to give you a concrete online advertising strategy by the end of the conversation. You can choose to implement it yourself or you can work with this team and they'll implement it for you. AdWordsNerds.com forward slash Joe. Ready to enter the minds of successful entrepreneurs and millionaires? Are you ready to excel in your entrepreneurial and investing journey? The new podcast, Before the Millions, studies phenomenal entrepreneurs and their path to millions. Journey through exclusive interviews, giving you all the secrets to mimic their successes. Listen and subscribe to Before the Millions podcast at beforethemillions.com that's beforethemillions.com best ever book you've read Danny best ever book I've read I'd have to say Think and Grow Rich I know that's not very original but when I think about it I read it every year that's how good it is and I can't say that about a lot of books that I read that often best ever deal you've done we bought a medical office building and we were able to turn it and stabilize it in under a year and then we sold it on month 13th and profited over a million bucks on it best ever way you like to give back right now i donate to three charities i really enjoy giving back but one thing i'd like to do more of is mentoring and giving people skills that i've learned over the past few years what's a mistake you've made on a deal a mistake that i've made on a deal trying to be my own attorney Don't ever try and be your own attorney. Always hire professionals. Always make sure that you have qualified people on your team to review all your documentation and to help you from A to Z on any of your deals. What's the best way the best ever listeners can get in touch with you? They can go to my website, which is www.valueinvestmentgroup.com, or they can reach out by phone at 435 590-9095. Shopping centers, that's the focus of our conversation. And you walked us through a case study for the shopping center that you're doing, as well as some previous examples of deals that you've done. What you're expecting to work through, like anytime there's interruptions with tenant improvements or capital improvements rather on the exterior, then there's going to be some interruption with tenants. So doing it on slower days as well as just walking through how you run the numbers and the things you look for on evaluating a shopping center, the tenants, the cost approach if you were to build brand new again, or rather the replacement, and then the cap rate and price per square foot comps, talking through the type of tenants that you like to have in there and the strategy that you use, why do a refinance versus a long-term hold And in this instance on the deal we talked about, it had to do with the location first and foremost, then also the age. That's why you're looking for an exit versus long-term hold. So thanks so much for being on the show. Lots of great information. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. Ready to enter the minds of successful entrepreneurs and millionaires? Are you ready to excel in your entrepreneurial and investing journey? 
The new podcast, Before the Millions, studies phenomenal entrepreneurs and their path to millions. Journey through exclusive interviews, giving you all the secrets to mimic their successes. Listen and subscribe to Before the Millions podcast at beforethemillions.com. That's beforethemillions.com.